We're in Second Peter now. Uh, <clears throat> what I thought we would do, I'm going to don't know that I've tried this very often or at all. We're going to uh, begin with a topical study of the book, and then we'll come back and go verse by verse through it. Uh, and what I what we'll do first, I want to look at. I, most of you, many of you, have ESV Bibles, and your headings will probably be the same as mine. Uh, the book is really in three sections. Uh, this is Peter's Second Timothy. This is Peter's swan song. God, the Lord has revealed to him directly that he's about to uh, leave this earth. So this is his last letter, uh, as Second Timothy is Paul's last letter, and uh, there, it's quite different from First Peter. Uh, the The language is different, uh, and uh, the topic is different. We've looked through the suffering of the saints in First Peter, and this is Peter's. Uh, admonition, Peter's encouragement to these Christians in the face of error, not in suffering, but in the face of error, how to stand fast. If we think about it, it's the late 60s or mid-60s to late 60s. The apostles are dying. The second generation of the church is about to be uh, in charge. And so Peter's words here, from Rome to these Christians, we don't, he doesn't even designate as he did in 1 Peter who they are. These are his last words. It's not that he's desperate because he knows the word of God will uh, accomplish the purposes that God has for it. But he is... These are the last things he's going to have to write, at least in this letter that we know of. <clears throat> so, the first chapter, uh, the heading on verse 3 is, Confirm your calling and election. And then, verse 16, Christ's glory in the prophetic word. So it's your calling and the word of God. The prophetic word of God is the first section there in chapter 1. Then chapter 2, he's going to nail the, nail the false prophets and the false teachers. The error that is coming in is he identifies them and he declares their destinies and uh, things like that. Then the last one is, the last chapter 3 is the day of the Lord will come. The assurance that the, day, the Lord is in control and he will end this thing, this world, when uh, he sees fit to end the world, just as he promised he would do. And so that's the, the, the three sections here. It's our faith, and the, drawn from the word of God, then the false teachers that they're to, they're to identify and stand up against, and uh, the hope that we have in the return of Christ. And I thought we'd just read through the whole book first, the whole letter first. Um, I don't know if you want to just hear me read it. 
Somebody want to read chapter 1? We'll read it loud enough for everybody to hear. Okay, Dennis, make sure they can hear you. Second Peter, chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them, and are established in the truth that you have, I think it is right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God, the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Someone else? The false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive, destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if, by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the, in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reviling in their deceptions, while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Belam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. The speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world, through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to 
turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. You want to go where? <clears throat> this is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. And you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffers, following their own sinful desires. But they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with the Lord, and the heavenly bodies will be turned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth, in which righteousness Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for peace, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish, and have peace. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given to him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks to him of these matters, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, Knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. You grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We give you the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There it is. Any questions? Anything strike you as we read through that? Did you see anything you haven't seen in a while? <coughs> uh, Two different commentaries I looked at. I only looked at two commentaries this week in the introduction to Second Peter. Both of them said that Second Peter and Jude are probably the two New Testament books that there's fewer commentaries written than any of the other books. That Jude, if you study them side by side, in fact, the one commentary, little short commentary I have, does Second Peter and Jude together with no connection between the authors, no connection between the audiences, but their content is so much alike. In fact, most of Jude is in Second Peter. Much language the same. Second um, uh, Peter is one of the uh, last books to be counted in the ca canon, in the scriptures that we have. The first word... Uh, 
throws some shade on whether or not Peter wrote it. Look at the first word in chapter 1, verse 1. Do you notice that? Not Simon, it's Simeon. But that is the Aramaic form of Simon, which is the Hebrew form. That should not bother anybody. That's one reason that some people will question it. We don't question it at all. Uh, there's that huge difference between 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Uh, uh, the style is different. Uh, the topics are different. There, um, there's 57 words in 1 Peter that are used nowhere else in the New Testament. There, uh, so 57 words in, in 2 Peter, 57 words in 2 Peter that weren't mentioned in 1 Peter at all. Could this be a different author? That would be some who would be skeptics. You know, people who will try to undermine, undermine the authority of Scripture will try to find all kinds of reasons to reject what they don't want to uh, have to face up to sometimes. Uh, and then, again, the subject matter. First uh, Peter, there's encouragement for suffering and persecution. Here, uh, he's dealing with false teaching and encouraging them to stand uh, faithful in the face of false teaching. Okay? Uh, the last two verses are sort of sort of lay out for us the theme. The last verse there, this is Peter's goal. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So the theme, growing in grace, is, but it's not just a letter to grow in grace, Verse 17 puts us in context of growing in grace. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So his, 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 this heresy, this false teaching, these new teachers... Uh, have come in, and so he wants them to grow in grace in the context of fighting off error at the same time. And these errorists are coming in, these false teachers, these, uh, what, what is this, uh, 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 shepherds feeding the sheep. A time will come, James is a little picture of himself, I guess, instead of me. A time will come, this is Spurgeon, <laughs> when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. Peter would say, that's a little different than what I think. What I have here is the shepherds or the goats feeding themselves, which is exactly what Jude says, that the uh, false teachers are shepherding themselves. Yes, Dan. It seems to be. That would be, it's, it's a, an undermining of apostolic authority. Now, remember, the apostles are, are, are dying away. 
there's really, are they taught wrong? The only one who's been teaching have been the apostles. Now, of course, false teaching will come up immediately, right? The Judaizers came with adding to grace uh, things to do to, to be saved, be circumcised and those kinds of things and observe the Old Testament law. So that false teaching arose early. This is probably the seeds of, if you're in Sunday school class here with Sproul, what he, the seeds of the Gnosticism. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, <clears throat> but it seems like these are folks who are coming in and undermining apostolic authority, teaching something that will pander to the passions of the people. And we'll, we'll see that as we look at the topics uh, as we go through. And then, of course, we go verse by verse. We'll see it also. Anything else? Anybody else? So they're, they're seeking to destabilize these Christians. That's kind of uh, there at the end of verse 17. Peter uh, uh, says, Make, take care that you're not carried away by the error of these lawless people. There's your, if, if, if I use Sproul's language, antinomian people. That's the word. Here's the antinomians. These are antinomians. What? Well, what if if you were here Sunday, or or what do you know about antinomians? What are antinomians? Anti-law, which means what? Lawlessness. Uh, they're going to teach. Forget the framework of what you've been taught. We're, we have a, a new teaching. In fact, there's, there's gonna, they're going to teach a newfound freedom that you've not heard about before. Corey and I were talking today. We have, there's a brand new, new something. Uh, uh, a new millennialism. So of those of you who are in Bible Institute, we got another millennium view to look at. <laughs> we're not going to look at it, by the way. Uh, because, <laughs> but just these, these false teachers are coming in. We've got something new. Something that the apostles didn't tell you. I mean... Uh, that's that seems to be what they're facing, and so uh, you just every everybody has to have something new, you know. The old paths get dusty, uh, so that seems to be what it is, Danny. The uh, they're undermining the apostolic authority, promising some previously unknown freedom in their experience with God. Uh, by decoupling from the traditions and the teachings of the past. And so Peter's going to expose them. Uh, and verse 17, here this is uh, 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 the cotton patch gospel or whatever. My, my verse, beloved, y'all therefore, verse 17, and, and I'm just kind of, uh, uh, this is, how I put it down. Beloved, y'all therefore, knowing this beforehand, be on guard uh, so that you are not carried away by the error or the deception of these antinomian people, these lawless people, and fall from or lose your own stability, your own secure position in Christ. Now, you can't lose your position in Christ, Right? But your stability, they would just, they're, they're just, Peter's saying, they're just going to shake you up 
give you doubts. They're going to offer a freedom that is really going to enslave you to freedom. Uh, and so uh, that's where he's going to go. It's, to, it's a letter about Christian growth amid the threats of these heretical teachers. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. See, it's, it's cunning, deceptive, even denying the master who bought them, and we'll talk about that, bringing them upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Uh, So, it's a letter about growth in the midst of this heretical teaching, um, which is the same for us, right? There's all kinds of errors that are being taught, and we need to to watch that our stability is not shaken. Uh, Here's just a couple of comments about Gnosticism. What's the root word? Knowledge. Uh, yes, it, it's it's knowledge. It's the first. Uh, I think R.C. said it last Sunday. It's the first um, threat to the life of the church and the teaching of the church in this really into the second century. Uh, Peter knew the greatest threat to the people and his church, to the people of God and his church, was a false teaching. And I just wrote this. Today, one of the cries of the evangelical, of evangelical Christianity is doctrine divides. Just focus on your relationships. All right? I mean, you know, just don't need the doctrines. Just focus on your relationships. That's where these Gnostics are going a little bit. We're going to get some, they're, they're, they're going to teach you, uh, or they're going to at least say they have this special knowledge, they have some direct knowledge from God. Um, uh, this system of thought that ultimate truth can't be learned through the mind or your five senses. Uh, it's through this mystical it's intuition. You just kind of get this knowledge. Um, it's beyond reason. It's uh, beyond eyewitness testimony. Uh, it's, it's a mixture of, I don't know, Greek philosophy, some Oriental kind of uh, mysticism, some, uh, with, sprinkled with Christianity. Uh, certain people have special knowledge, and you need to listen to them. And then, if you can really get in tune, but it's a rejecting of the traditions, the of the real teachings, the doctrines of the that the apostles have taught, and it's to just superior. It's superior to the apostles' knowledge because this is new new stuff here that they didn't teach you. That's where this is now. Um, 
How do we, do we see that today? Uh, has anybody ever told you that God told them to tell you something? Yeah. Uh-huh. And you say, well, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> you know, I mean, but, and, or they, they may not be that blatant about it. They may just say, God told me, and then you go wherever you want to go. And again, uh, the Spirit directs us subjectively, but it's always according to the truth. And these guys are trying to, are, are saying, jettison the truth, don't worry about the truth, get this knowledge from God and go for it. Uh, and that's not, this is much more complicated than that, the Gnosticism, I'm just generally speaking. And so it's a danger. And Peter says we don't want to get, fall into this. It will destabilize, it will make you unstable as a Christian. You'll begin to be tossed to and fro. Well, what do we have? What are we going to put our feet on if we don't have the foundations of the faith? Uh, uh, it was uh, Francis Schaeffer. You may or may not know that name. Uh, he talked. He he said he had to start te- talking about true truth, and he says we have have our feet firm planted firmly in midair, meaning that there's the foundations are were gone, the doctrines, the foundational truths of our faith were. He saw them subsiding, and he's talking in the fifties. He saw these things going away. And, and so there's nothing to stabilize us. And that's exactly what Peter's saying. These guys are going to destabilize you. You're going to have no solid footing, no ground to stand upon if you listen to them. And so forget them. How to grow in the midst. Uh, chapter 1. There's a little short um, uh, exposition on growth, how, spiritual growth. And we might as well start in verse 3. And you probably, this may be more familiar to you uh, than some of the other passages in Second Peter. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Um, is there a danger here in verse 4 that might come up? Divine partakers of the divine nature? Depending on how you would understand that, you could um, you you could be like Kenneth Hagen or Kenneth Copeland. We're gods, we're little gods, which is cultish, heretical, right? We have the divine nature. We have everything that pertains to life and godliness. And you can go without the foundations. You can get moved over and destabilized and think you're a little God. 
making it very man-centered. But that's what all these false religions are going to be, right? I mean, every one of them. Okay, so uh, verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Okay, so we begin with, and I think he, he would be, I don't know that this is a step-by-step process here, but I think he's talking about the beginning of your faith. Make, add to your faith, or he says, uh, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, Steadfast and steadfastness, I left out the end. Steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. So there is a, a, a list of characteristics. Maybe they're tied together. Uh, they are tied together, but I don't know necessarily in that order. But here's how to, we want to grow from faith to love. He's got faith and love on either end. Um, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Mm. So, uh, there's this progress, a program to progress is what Dick Lucas calls it. Uh, The false teachers lack these. We'll see that in chapter 2. And so Peter commends this way of living uh, differently than the antinomians, these these lawless people. Um, Spiritual growth in the true knowledge of God, spiritual life of the church is at stake. So your spiritual condition is at stake. The, the, The growth of the church is at stake. Uh, if we don't pay attention. In that first section there, he, we have the word knowledge, I think, five times, but it's two different words. Um, in, uh, let's see, in verse 2, may great, I didn't read verse 2 earlier, but may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the, to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called you into his own glory and excellence. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. It seems that Peter's using that. That's one of the Greek words there uh, for knowledge. It seems that Peter is talking about the knowledge that every Christian has. Notice how he uses it. Knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Uh, knowledge of him who called us. And then verse 8. Uh, un- 
he's, he's wanting to keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the knowledge that we all have in knowing Christ, in being known by Christ. But there in the middle of this passage, as he's going through this process, this progress, he uses the other word, another word for, for uh, knowledge, where he says he's telling us to supplement our faith with virtue, verse 5, then supplement our virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control. And this is the knowledge that we add as we live and learn as Christians. So there's one sense in which it's knowledge that is static in us, the knowledge that we have by become, when we become Christians, the knowledge of, Lord, of Jesus as Lord and Savior and Master. And then in the middle, this other form of the same basic word for knowledge, but it's a different form of it. It seems he's talking about knowledge that we add on as we study God's Word so we can progress in our spiritual faith in our spiritual growth. Um, So, um, that initial gift of grace that comes, notice verse 1, Simeon, Simeon Peter, a servant of an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Who's our? Who do you think Peter might be referring to as our? The apostles. He's saying these second generation Christians here, they have, their faith is the same as apostolic faith in the sense that uh, they have this faith of equal standing with, with the apostles. Um, it implies that the new, ta- new teaching, the new... Uh, yeah, the new teaching casts doubts on their faith. Your faith is not quite so good. You need some deeper knowledge so that you might get higher in your faith and the apostles can't take you there. That seems to be the way it plays out in, in this letter. Uh, so... Uh, I mean, it's it's easy to seduce unstable people. Chapter 2, verse 14, that's just, uh, they have eyes of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. If you maintain your stability, you'll not be lured in. How in the world some of those fish take some of the baits we fishermen put in the water, I'll never know. Throw out a piece of, just a piece of metal with a hook on it and they'll eat it. And you say, well, that's dumb. But that's the word, the lures that we take, the bait that's put before us. If we lose our stability, we're going to take them in. They're going to bring us in the boat. So, um, it's easy to seduce unstable young Christians. I mean, I remember uh, being uh, discouraged almost that I was growing so slowly. Now, I was saved with no knowledge, and I mean, it boom. This was an amazing deal here, you know. The knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for me, that was... 
It overwhelmed me, but it soon got very slow in the progress. Um, and when you get discouraged with the slow progress and longing for a, a, a deeper walk with the Lord, it's easy to get discouraged. Um, and Peter reminds or teaches, he teaches the same as Paul taught the Ephesians, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You have a, a faith that is, how does he say it there in verse 1? Your faith is an equal standing with ours. We the apostles, you're on equal ground with us. You have faith the Lord Jesus has given you and knowledge in him. So those are the two ideas of, of knowledge that he has right here in chapter 1 and in our growth. We have it as Christians and then we need to build upon it as we uh, seek to grow spiritually and be stable in our faith. Um, are these false teachers believers? Chapter 2, verse 20. We won't go much farther than this, but chapter 2, verse 20. Are they believers? For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first, for it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. They have the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, They've known the way of righteousness. After knowing the way of righteousness, are they Christians? <laughs> They're not? Okay, it sounds like one of the references to the soils. Look at verse 19 of chapter 2. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption for whatever overcomes a person to... That he is enslaved for if after they've escaped the defilements. No, they're not. It, it, they're, they're, there's some seeming language that they are, but they're not because they're slaves to corruption. They've surrendered themselves over to corruption. And, but what do we make of verse 22? Somebody read 22 out loud, loud where we can hear it. 222. Yeah. That's the Sal, right? <laughs> Sal, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what, what, their nature hadn't been changed, right? The dogs are returning to the vomit. The Sal, I mean, don't, don't give the pig a bath. You're going to go right back in the mud pot. You know, it just, it's, and their nature has not been changed. Um, have you, um, do you know, maybe it happened to you where you had a knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you knew somebody who had a knowledge, you saw, you saw tears, you heard earnestness in prayer, 
And yet, the dog went back to the vomit. Um, uh, what does he say to them? It would have been better of not to have known. Uh, it would have been better for them, verse 21, not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to return. I think about what Jesus said again to the uh, Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You travel land and sea to gain one convert, and you make them twice the sons of hell that they were before. Because, uh, I don't know if you've ever asked someone or talked with someone at the gospel and they say, I tried Jesus and he didn't work. They made a profession of faith. They did what the preacher told them to do. They walked down the aisle and signed a card. They got baptized. They joined the church. And it just didn't take. And you talk about a hard person to talk to about the transforming power of the gospel. And often, these who experience this, when they turn back away, they get into deeper sin than they were before the experience that deceived them. Okay, he said... Okay, very good. That's, he's, you hear what he's, he's tying of uh, the demon being cast out and then bringing back seven others because the, the, house, is, the, the house is not filled, uh, cleaned and filled, right? So that's good. That's, yeah, some of the same language. Um, let's see. We probably, let's, yeah, you met someone. Uh, Peter's test for authentic knowledge. We're going, to stay, we're going to stop right here. I'll come back. We'll, I'll do my best to get us all the way through the topical study next week so we can start the verse-by-verse uh, verse exposition the week after. Any questions, any comments about Second Peter? Read it a few times and uh, be ready because there's some hard passages. They deny the Lord who bought them. Come back and tell me what that means. Uh, you know, uh, we'll talk about it eventually. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, as we think about Peter and the, the parts of his life that you've revealed to us, we see the transforming, miraculous power of, your, of the Word and the Spirit and the Gospel in His life. We thank You that You've changed our lives. Lord, we pray You would change, it even, change them even more. Help us to be stable, focused on Christ, standing on the rock in the power of the Spirit, making our calling and election sure diligently that we might not be shaken. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.